Where's your, where's your heart at? Who do you follow? Who are you a, a disciple of? What are, where are your allegiances at? I, I, I think I, I just, I find it so interesting that in our day and age, with the, the comfort that comes with actually uh, being in a room that's air-conditioned, um, being, being with a group of people that have the luxury of choosing which church to go to or what not to go to, to be able to have the opinions that we do about various things, it, it says something about our culture, and it says something about us. And so I'm, I'm talking to uh, the church right now in, in large part. So if you're visiting with us, it's, yeah, I, I want you to listen in because maybe some of the things that you feel about the church are things that, you're, uh, are things that we're going to talk about today. But we, we've been talking uh, through uh, 1 Corinthians and getting into this idea of, of meat that's been sacrificed to idols and whether we should eat that or not. And obviously, there's not a lot of idol temples around and people don't really know or are not really aware of idolatry in our culture. But as we've been talking lately, like we don't have literal idol temples, but we have temples nonetheless. We have things that we worship and we have things that we go after. And Paul's speaking to this church and he's basically saying, like, uh, you need to understand what you're doing uh, when you partake of these things. And so here's some, some guidelines. But there's an underlying issue that's going on here. There's an underlying theme. There's an underlying uh, thing that I want you to get and that I want you to see. And that is, it, it is the state of our heart. It is the state of our heart and where we're at as people that is of the, the utmost importance, and that's really what the Apostle Paul is getting at. Like, this is their cultural issue. This is their cultural thing. We, like, we don't necessarily understand this whole meat sacrifice to idols uh, type thing. That they, that's not something that we necessarily identify with, but we have our own issues. We have our own underlying issue, and so that's, that's the thing that we have to get this morning. And the question is, whether you and I are going to be people who say, I'm going to take the word of God and I'm actually going to apply it to my life. And I'm going to say, like, like something has to change. or Something has to be different. Like, I, I can't just sit here and just, and just act like, like everything's fine in my life. And I'm a good church attender. And I'll just, I'll tell myself this and I'll, and I'll, I'll, I'll make people think that I'm, that I'm with them in these things. When in reality, what's, what's taking place in our hearts is that the state of our heart is in, is in disarray and our allegiances are all over. And when, when you look at the American church and you look at the things that we're able to say and the things that we're able to do and the nonsense that, that we're able to get upset about, is, is, it's just phenomenal. It's just phenomenal, but let's get into the passage this morning. Chapter 10, verse 23. The Apostle Paul says this. He says, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. And what, what he says right there is he, sa he says this. In regards to the question of whether you should eat meat sacrificed to idols... Like, you need to understand, you need to see something, and that is that everything is lawful. You can enter in, into uh, a number of things. And when we say all things are lawful, we're not saying that immorality is lawful. What we're saying is we're talking about things that are, that are gray areas. We're saying that there, there's things that are gray areas in our lives, and we, don't, we just don't necessarily know. Like, the, the scriptures don't specifically speak to you know, whether I should binge watch a show on Netflix. So the scriptures don't necessarily speak to uh, the, the things that I do with my life. They, sometimes they don't speak to those things. And so Paul's saying, like, there's, all things are lawful insofar as that they are not specifically defined as being immoral. But he says, but not everything is helpful. And, and not everything builds people up. 
And so Paul, through that, is he's saying this to this church. Is he's saying there's, there's really at least two questions at, the, at a very minimum that you should be asking about the things that you engage in, the things that you decide to take part in. There's two questions that you should ask. Is this helpful to me and to other people and to the church and to the world? And does this build them up? Does this build the people up around me? Or is it tearing them down? Is it, is it leaving an opportunity for sin to get into my life? Is it leaving an opportunity for uh, sin to get into someone else's life? The discernment that the church has sometimes is, 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 is just so profoundly off. Where we, we have this idea of all things are lawful. And so I can watch whatever I want. And I can uh, openly talk about shows... Uh, TV shows or, uh, or otherwise that have blatant disregard for morality. And I can openly talk about those things and I can glorify those things as though they are worthy of watching. But the thing that you don't understand and the thing that you're not taking into consideration sometimes when you do that is that you're not asking yourself the question, of like, is this helpful to the people around me? Is this building them up or is it tearing them down? Is it building me up or is it tearing me down? I, I, I think one of the number one things that, that we could really talk about is the things that we watch, the things that we bring into our homes, the ways that we communicate. There's shows that we don't allow, there's cartoons that we do not allow our kids to watch because of the arguing. There, there was this Disney movie a, a while ago where the, the mom and the and the, the daughter, whatever she was, I don't remember exactly what the relationship, I think it's mom and daughter. And the, the, the daughter is constantly arguing with mom, constantly arguing with mom. There's always this idea of mom and daughter always arguing. I don't want that in my home. That's not helpful. That's not real communication. That's bogus. That's not how my kids are going to talk with, each, with, my, with my wife. They're not going to talk that way with me. It's not helpful. It's not building them up. It's showing them a model of, like, uh, of something that is of this world. It is not of my home. It doesn't build them up. The same thing goes for sexual immorality. There's immorality all throughout so many of our shows today. And so many of us feel like it's, it's okay for me to be a part of that. It's okay for me to engage with that. And yet we don't understand. We don't see that what's really taking place is that you and I have to be people who are saying, like, what, what is this doing to my mind? And we end up in some place at, at, at some time and we say, I can't believe that I sinned in this way. Or, or I can't believe that I just don't understand. And the, the question is, is, like, you have not been thinking about the things that you're putting into your life and you have not been looking discerningly at the things that you're watching and yes, even sacrificing the things that you're taking part in and saying like, I want to watch that show so bad. Like there's multiple shows like that, 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 uh, you know, people tell me, oh, it's so awesome. It's like, it's better than 24. And I'm like, no, I want to watch that. Like the first show out of the series is like, dang it. I have to turn this off. I, did, I, I don't want this. I don't want it in my home. I don't want it in my mind. I don't want it in my life. I don't want to glorify the show. I don't want to come, come to church and say, dude, did you see? Did you, did, dude, it was this crazy you know, part, whatever. And yet, in the midst of that is a scene that's totally immoral. And yet, somehow... We just sit around and say, it's, it's lawful. And Paul says this, you, you're not considering whether it's helpful. And you are not considering whether it's building you up or the people around you. I find so many believers who are absolutely divorced from the idea of how is this helping my fellow man or woman? Now, there is a way to be completely legalistic. And so Paul is speaking both to the legalist and to the person who is licentious, the person who doesn't really have a problem with anything. So he's talking to someone who's legalistic, and he's also talking to somebody who is 
licentious in nature. They'll, they'll watch whatever, they'll, they'll, they'll do whatever. And the Apostle Paul is basically going to give some guidelines that in some ways are difficult to apply, but in other ways they're not. He says this um, in, uh, well, verse 24, let no one seek his own good but the good of his neighbor. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. And so he's, he's saying, listen, you're not sure which animal or which meat guy, uh, whatever, ha- is buying meat from the temple because it's basically a butcher shop, and you don't know if that was sacrificed to uh, the, these gods or what, and he just says, listen, you don't really know what it was, and by not knowing, it's like, how could you possibly tell? You know, what's, what's happening there? But the, about the, one of the best ways to really apply this to our life is that we've talked about how all sin is a result of idolatry. All sin is a result of idolatry. And so if throughout our culture, what we see is we see people who are worshiping various aspects of them, themselves, sexuality, uh, the world, whatever. And so what we can say is this, is like, I don't know what this particular company supports. I don't know, you know, how much of their money is going towards abortion or uh, whatever, uh, you know, views of sexuality that uh, the scriptures would disagree with. How much of this is going to that and how much of that is going to that? And sometimes believers are way too uh, cautious, way too quick to say, no, I've, I've got to figure out everywhere where, where, where they're wrong and I'm, I'm only going to support them if they're whatever. And Paul says, listen, man, just go into the meat market and just buy whatever and understand this. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. It's, it's, there, there's no way for you to know. Those aren't real gods. And so then he says in verse 26, he says, for the earth is the Lord's in the fullness thereof. So one of the things that we need to understand is that even when a company or somebody is using something for nefarious means or illegitimate means or, or what have you. Even when those things happen, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. So I don't care what you sell, clothes, uh, you know, soda, you know, something like that. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. He's the one who owns all things. And so that is why we can have good conscience and just say, man, thank you, Jesus, even for... Uh, these clothes, and I don't necessarily know where they come from. These people don't necessarily love Jesus, but I can thank you, God, for what you've given me. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. He says this, verse 27, if one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. Now, who is he speaking to here? He's speaking to the legalist. He's speaking to the person who's going to come in, they're going to sit down at an unbeliever's uh, home, and they're, they're thinking to themselves, oh man, I hope they didn't sacrifice to this idol with this, with this meat. It would have been a delicacy. And so here, this uh, unbelieving family is putting food on the table, and here you are, a legalist, sitting at the, at the table, and one of the things that could be coming up in your mind is, I wonder if that was sacrificed to an idol. I wonder if that was sacrificed to an idol. I wonder... You know what happens in our culture, Christian culture? We have Christians that say, you know what? If they're doing that there, I'm not going. I, I can't go to their house if they're, if they're going to have this. Oh, I'm a Christian. Please don't put that on the table. What, what is it with Christians in this, in this issue with I can't even be near it. It's going to jump off the table and get me. Like, it's, like, like this is, if, if, if I come near, whatever it is. But there's this legalistic point of view that's basically saying, I can't even get near this, otherwise I'm, I, I'm, I am going to be defiled. And Paul is saying here, if one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you want to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. You don't have to worry about that all the time. There are situations where it's perfectly fine to just be in their midst, to just, just be there. And sometimes it's like, yeah, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't be a part of that. Verse 28 says this, but if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you. 
and for the sake of conscience. I do not mean your conscience, but his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? What's he saying there? He's saying, you and I, if we're believers, we know that, th that there are no real gods. And so this has been sacrificed to this, this God. And so it doesn't really matter. Everything belongs to God. But now here you are, you're at dinner, and somebody comes and they says, and, and, they, and they say, um, and they says this, all right? <laughs> Just all of a sudden from Arkansas, all right? Um, my apologies if you're a southerner. Um, so, and it, they, put, they put this food on the table. And they go, this has been sacrificed to an idol. Like, and I just, I'm trying to figure out what the import of that would be into our lives. You know, like, like at what point? But the only thing that I can think is, is, oh yeah, we bought this from such and such. And they're huge advocates of name it. You know, there's the, there's, there are the big ones. There, there are those big things that Christians always get, get upset about. And those are important to me too. But someone comes in, they say, you know, every dollar that is you know, spent on this stuff is given to whatever. They're, they're going to do multiple abortions because of, of our meal here today. What, whatever the situation might be. That's when I just have to say, you know what? For the sake of your conscience, so that you don't believe that I'm in any way supporting what this is, I'm so sorry. I, I, I just I can't knowingly support that. What he's saying here is he's saying it, it's not about you defiling yourself. It's about that person and their conscience somehow being defiled, and now your liberty is being criticized. Your liberty in God, your liberty in Christ is now being criticized for something that you're thankful for. He said, for why should my liberty be de determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? Why am I denounced? What, what, what's the problem? I'm, I'm enjoying this with thankfulness, and yet you bring in this aspect, and now you think that somehow what I'm doing in, in, in thankfulness is somehow worshiping your God, supporting that cause, whatever it is. And so he says, in that situation, do not eat. So there's a word here both to the legalist. He's saying, man, legalist, you need to calm down. Get your panties out of a wad and just, listen, like, just go eat with the non-believer. And insofar as that that's not talked about or whatever, you're fine because everything is owned by God. But for those of you that are more uh, licentious, you're more willing to partake of whatever, you need to be aware of this. There is a point where you should stop. There is a point where you should stop. He says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Now this is where we get into, how does this apply to us? What's this look like? I mean, there's some surface level stuff but how does this apply to us? We've got to kind of keep that in mind, what we just read, but look back at verse 24. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Now, what's Paul saying there? He's saying this, like there's a problem in the church in Corinth, and the problem is this. It's that, you guys are, we are self-absorbed with our own choices. I'm so into what I want and what I need. I'm so into what I want to watch. I'm so into the things that are around me that the only person that I can think about is me. The only person who, who can really think about this is me, and it just, it's up to my appetites. It's up to the things that I want. It's up to my affections. How do we do this in the church? I'm, I'm, I'm praising God right now because we don't have any conflict in our church that I'm aware of. 
I don't know of anybody that said this to me. And so if you have said this to me, you're like, I know I said that to you. Like, I'm not thinking about you right now. But this is how we do it. This is how we do it. You leave a church or you get ready to leave a church and you say, you know, I'm just not being fed. I'm, I'm just not being fed. I, I want to go somewhere where I'm being fed. Which is so fascinating to me because there's this, this issue in the church and somebody is saying, like, I need someone to feed me. I need someone to, to pour into me. There's a self-centeredness that's saying this. It's saying, I come here, I plop down in front of you, pastor. I come to this church, and I need someone to feed me. Totally missing the fact that what's really going on there is this, is that the person that needs them, to, uh, that needs uh, to be fed by someone else is a baby. It's somebody who is not mature. It's somebody who cannot eat for themselves. Look at Hebrews 5, 12. For b though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. What do we see happening in the church right now? A lack of discernment. A lack of discernment. In the books that we read, in the movies that we watch, in the things that we, that we say, oh, it's okay. Because of this, because we're all, about our, we're all about feeling, we're all about emotion, we're all about this is the way that I feel, and ultimately there's a discernment issue, but the discernment issue, the, the inability to distinguish good from evil is related to this idea of I'm not eating solid food. When you start eating solid food, you're picking up the fork. You're, you're, you're picking up the fork. You're eating yourself. But the person who is only drinking milk, they're coming to the church, they're coming and they're saying this, it is all about me. It is self-absorption. It's saying that this is what I want more than anything and you need to give it to me. Completely missing the point and the idea that babies scream when they're hungry, but an adult gets his butt off the couch and goes to the kitchen and makes himself a sandwich. When we say, I'm not being fed, the very thing that we're saying is we're saying, I am a child. I cannot feed myself. I have not engaged. What the author of Hebrews is saying is he's saying, by this time, you ought to be teachers. Like, by, by, this, by this point, you should be somebody who's teaching somebody else, and yet you're sitting here saying, I want someone to feed me. So we say, I'm not being fed. Or we'll, we'll, we'll perhaps use another word. We'll say, I'm not being discipled. This is the way that our self-absorption comes into the church. We say, I'm not being discipled. And, and we say, you need to disciple me. You need to di disciple me. But Jesus' words throughout the gospel is saying, you follow me. You come and follow me. And what happens over and over again? People come up to him and say, Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus says, I'm homeless. I don't have anywhere to sleep. Oh, all right, well, <laughs> we're staying at the Grand tonight, but Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. Okay, uh, why don't you go sell everything and then give all that away and then come back and talk to me and we'll see how it goes. 
Oh. What, what's in that? What's in that? Somebody who's a disciple is not somebody who says, I'm, I'm just here to just soak up everything that you have. They're a self-feeding individual. They're picking up the fork. They're making the sandwich. There's somebody who's saying, like, I'm in this. I'm a disciple. I'm selling my stuff. I'm walking with Jesus. I am putting forth the effort to be somebody who is a follower of Jesus. And yet, numerous people leave churches every month and say, I'm not being fed, I'm not being discipled. And do you know what happens in our cities? You just go from church to church to church. As long as I feel good, as long as I feel like the Spirit's moving here, whatever that means, then I'll stay. Then I'll stay. Like I said, I don't know of anybody in our church like that. See, here's the thing. I cannot force you to eat with Jesus. I cannot force you to eat with Jesus. I cannot force you to be a disciple. Do you, I mean, have you uh, looked at Revelation uh, chapter 3? He's speaking to the church in Laodicea. And he says, and people often get this confused, and they say, uh, this, like, this is Jesus. He's knocking on the heart of an unbeliever. And he's saying, behold, I stand at the door and knock. But Jesus is not speaking to non-believers. He's speaking to people that know Jesus. He's speaking to the church and Laodicea. These are people that, have been, I mean, they've been riding the pew for a long time. Like, they, they've been under the sermons. They've been, they've been here for quite some time. And in Revelation... It says this, those whom I love, I rep reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. He's not talking to non-believers. He's talking to people who are Christians and yet still need to repent. And he says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Now, what's striking about that passage is this, is that I'm a Christian, and my door is not open to Jesus. And Jesus is on the outside, and he is knocking on my door. Don't think about Guns N' Roses right now. <laughs> Used to love that song. He did it one time in karaoke. I've got a great uh, Axel, whatever his name is voice. It's fantastic. A complete aside. He is knocking on your door. And, and he is saying, look, I want to come inside. How crazy is it that you could be somebody that says, I'm a Christian, and Jesus is not inside. And more than that, he's not even inside the door. He's knocking, and you're inside going, I don't know. You know, I'm not sure I should let him in. He says, I'm knocking at the door, and I want to come in, and I want to dine with you. And why is he saying that? He's saying this, I want to have an intimate, personal relationship with you. I want to know you. In biblical times, sitting down and having a meal was a sign of close relationship. Jesus ate with tax collectors and sinners. The Pharisees were saying, what the heck? Why is he sitting in relationship with these people? Jesus wants to come in and eat with you, and he wants to come in and eat with me. And the problem with believers is, is this. Is that we could be going along, we're sitting in our legalisms, or we're sitting in our licentiousness. I'll watch whatever, do whatever, however I want, because, you know, all things are lawful. Or I'll just be this jerk, legalistic, right-wing, whatever, say whatever I want. And what Paul is saying here is he's saying, let no one seek his own good but the good of his neighbor. Now, why don't you and I have that mindset? It's because of this. Jesus is outside. He is knocking on our door, 
And we, do, we are not sitting for dinner with him. We are not in relationship with him. And yet somehow we have this loosely affiliated religion. And here's how it, how it comes. It, this is what it looks like. You know, I don't really feel like going to church. I just, you know, not feeling like I need it right now. Who said anything about you needing it? It's completely about you? Who said it's about you? What this is saying is, let no one seek his own good but the good of his neighbor. He says in verse 33, just as I try to please everyone and everything, I do, not seeking my own advantage. Christianity, cultural Christianity, which is pervasive throughout the United States, and especially in the South, cultural Christianity says this, I come to please myself. I come so that everyone can please me. You feed me, you disciple me, you make me feel the spirit, you do this, you do this, you do this. I'll have none of it. I'll have no part. Every now and then we got to have a sermon like this. We got to make more seats, right? I don't want any part of it. I'm not going to stand on stage and dance. You don't want to see that, all right? That's just, you don't want to see it. You, I'm not going to miss, I, I just don't want to mislead you. Your soul is more valuable than you feeling good. Your soul is more valuable than me making you feel good. Matthew 25 Another uh, pretty difficult passage I was just going over this uh, in my seminary class just the other day. It says in Matthew 25, in verse 31, it says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his uh, right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you, from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did, you, and when did we see you sick and in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my bro brothers, you did it to me. Now, what is incredibly key about this is that sheep, sheep in this passage are real believers. Sheep in this passage are real believers, okay? And I want to tell you that the goats at least include, and may only be, because it's not 100% clear, they at least include people who think that they're believers. So the sheep are people who say, I, uh, I'm seeing suffering in the world. I see people who are having difficulty. I, I'm helping those people in these different situations, but instead of being self-absorbed, they are people who are for people in our city. They are people who are other-centered. They are people who are outward in every respect, and they're saying, I want to alleviate the suffering 
And Jesus says, when you've done it for the least of these, you've done it for me. But not a lot of focus goes back to the goats. Not a lot of focus goes back on the goats because this is what happens. He says, then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. That's not good if you don't know that, right? For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or thirsty, or stranger, naked, and sick, or in prison, and did not minister to you? Then he will answer to them, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. Sheep are people who know and love Jesus Christ and they believe the gospel. The gospel, yes, the irreducible minimum of it is that the Son of God comes to earth as a virgin. Uh, no, he didn't come as a virgin. I guess he was a virgin technically, but <laughs> this is totally messed up. This is not the way I saw this going, all right? Uh, uh, born of a virgin, thank you. <laughs> Just help me out every now and then, all right? All right. Born of a virgin, sinless life, death, burial, resurrection, coming again. Okay? That's, that's the creeds. But do you know what was summarized in there? The life of Jesus. <laughs> like a really long time. A really long time there. And what is, what's in the life of Jesus. It's the story of the Son of God and how he walks out who he is. It's his life explained. He's showing to us, he's modeling to us what really is and what really should be. And he says here in Matthew 25 that the people that get it, the people that have received my gospel, are the people whose lives are not self-absorbed and saying, I don't have time. I don't have money. I don't have whatever it, ta whatever it takes. I just, I'm not going to engage in that. The people who really get it are the people who are walking in holiness, not in just the things that I don't do, but in the things that I do. I'm not coming to the church and saying, feed me, feed me, feed me, feed me, feed me. Now listen, a Bible-believing church that's preaching the Word of God is where you need to be. But I just got to tell you something. I cannot force you to be a sheep. I cannot force you to be a disciple. I cannot force you to be an imitator of Jesus Christ. I cannot make you dine with Jesus. But I can show you the kitchen. I can show you where it's at. And when someone shows you the kitchen and you say, okay, would you make me a sandwich? That's self-absorption. But when, but, I mean, the, the only thing that I can do is that I, I can stand up here and I can say, would you look at the riches? Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Would you look at the, the riches, the unsearchable riches of Christ? Would you look at what he has for you? And would you take and eat? Would you partake of this, of this Lord? Would you imitate him? Would you be like him? Would you walk with him? Would you engage with him in all things? That's the only thing that I can do. But what matters is this, is that after you become a believer, we show you the truth. We're showing you the way. We're showing you who Jesus is. And then it's time to be an adult. And then it's time to say, here is the kitchen, my friend. Make yourself a sandwich. And while you're at it, make something for someone else. By now, you should be teachers. By now, you should be teaching other people. I don't have time. You better make sure that that's not self-absorption playing itself out. 
I'm not threatening you as a, you might be a goat. I'm not saying that. I'm saying this. You, you want to be identified 100% as a sheep. Make your calling and election sure, Peter says, by growing in these ways. So he says this. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Do all to the glory of God. The direction of your affections is the glory of God. The direction of your affections cannot be on what your needs are. It cannot be. If you're going to walk out the life of Jesus Christ by faith, what proves the fact that you have believed the gospel is the way that you walk. That's the proving ground. Self-absorption shows itself in saying, the direction of my affections are my own heart, my own feelings, my own desires. And that is not what God has for you. The glory of God must be your aim. And so what can, why is it the glory of God? Because, because of this. Now listen to me. This whole thing about idolatry, it is very real in your life. It is very real in my, my life. Idolatry is taking very incredible things that God has given you and turning them into God things. And so while you may be a great family man, and you say, I can't, I can't, I can't because of my family, ultimately what that can be and is is idolatry of family. You're taking a good thing from God, and you're saying, God, thank you very much. I'll just worship the things that you've given me. I can't really engage in those things, and I can't really be a part of the church because my job is always keeping me out of that. And let me just tell you something. You have the wrong job. If you can never engage with God's people and it's never a part of your life, you have the wrong job. Just flat out. I don't make flat out statements like that very frequently. That's probably a lie. But, um, you know, uh, you, you, you've got the wrong job because you're disconnected from, from Jesus' people. So instead of worshiping your job and saying, I'm going to take this good thing, I'm going to make a, a God thing, you say, you know what, that thing can go to hell. Because I'm going to heaven with Jesus and I want to be with this people. I want to I I hang out with them. I want to be a part of them. That job is not what I worship. My aim, whatever I'm doing, is to the glory of God. The direction of my affections are going towards God and his glory, him being praised, him being worshiped, so that when people look at me and they see my life and they say, yeah, you walked away from a six-figure job or you walked away from a whatever, however much you're making or whatever so that you could uh, walk with Jesus better, and you say, that's right. Someone told me this last week. I was making more money here, but I just couldn't, whatever, couldn't be with my family. I couldn't do these things, and I walked away from that, and now here I am, and, I, and I'm like, man, it's okay that I'm not making money. I'm just selling some stuff, and then we're going to be okay as a family. That is to the glory of God. Whatever you do, that is to the glory of God. It's saying this, yes, I know that I love great TV shows, that I love these great movies, but to the glory of God says this, I don't live for myself. I am not living in a self-absorbed world. I am living as to the glory of God. The direction of my affections are not on my own heart. They're not on my family. They're not on my job. They are on the God of the universe and glorifying him. The people in Corinth, that was their problem. It was not about the glory of God. He says in verse 32, give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. Let me just make it really simple for you. It's not, it's not really entirely just this simple. These are people groups, but let me give you some categories. We always talk about politics here. We don't care if you're offended, right? Give no offense to the Jews. Don't offend the Republicans. 
I mean, it, there's sometimes you can't, can't avoid it, but don't offend the Republicans. And don't offend the Greeks. Don't, don't offend the Democrats. I don't know what nationality represents an independent, but you're out of luck, right? Or a libertarian. <laughs> Libertarians are from uh, Woodburn or something like that. But uh, <laughs> sorry if you live there, but uh, you probably enjoy it, and I'm very happy for you. I should, I should move on, foot and mouth. Or to the church of God. Like, if you're living for the glory of God, then the thing that you're concerned about is you're concerned about there are people that are in my life, there's people around me that I'm, I'm working to not offend. Look at what he says. Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do. What's, what's, this is one of my favorite sayings. Well, you're not going to make everyone happy. Well, that doesn't mean that you have to make everyone upset with you. You don't have to be a moron. You don't have to be a jerk. Paul says, I try. Just uh, I try to please everyone in everything I do. Put away the politics. Stop making that your, your glory, your God. Put it away. Quit getting so upset about these things. Sit down and have a meal with people for the love. Oh, but they support this. I don't care. And neither does God. Jesus was hanging out with people that are way worse. Jesus had great relationship with them. I try to please everyone in everything I do. I'm not seeking my own advantage. Are you? But that of many that they may be saved... I've said this so many times because Paul has said this so many times. Paul's aim and his goal is that people would come to know Jesus. But do you care? Do you care if people come to know Jesus or not? Do you care? And this, this is going to rhyme, and it's going to... I'm not a good rhymer all the time. I didn't do it on purpose, but the direction of your affections are the true reflection of who you follow, of who you imitate, of who you serve. What's your heart directed towards? The reason why you're getting ticked off and upset and, and, and I get ticked off and upset too is because the glory of God is slipping into the glory of man, the glory of Matt and I just get upset I just get so mad and it shows where my affections really lie in those moments and everybody can look at you and they can say you're not acting like a real Christian you know what, they're right because a real, a real Christian, somebody who's walking with Jesus, is somebody who says, I'm all about the glory of God. I'm going to imitate him. And let me ask you this. Last thing. Could you say with Paul, imitate me? The word there in Greek looks like mimic. Could you say to someone else, would you mimic me? Would you just mimic what I'm doing? Watch what I'm doing. Could you say that? Imitate, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. We, we say in, in uh, the NIV, says, follow me as I follow Christ. Could you say to someone, would you mimic me? Let me talk to you parents for just a second. They're already mimicking you. Are you showing them Jesus? Are you showing them a God-glorifying aim, or are you showing them your self-absorption? In your friendships and the things that you watch, the areas that you are, your deepest desires, could you, could you tell someone, would you imitate me? I hope that you're not sitting here saying, 
yes on all accounts because I don't think that there's any one of us in here that has this together. And so you're in good company because you know what that means? That means that you need Jesus. He went to the cross for that sin. He went to the cross for all of the ways that you've blown it in front of your kids and the way that I've blown it in front of my kids. I've had to apologize I don't know how many times now. It's almost getting redundant. It's stupid. Like, I'm like, I'm like are you seriously going to forgive me this time? Like, that's a sin that Jesus went to the cross for. You've been blowing people out of the water on Facebook. That's a sin that Jesus went to the cross for. You haven't cared about people who know Jesus. That's a sin that Jesus went to the cross for. Jesus' perfect life, and then his death, his burial, his resurrection, yes, it saves us, but what it does is it says this. It says, you can now follow me, and you're going to fail, but I want you to try, and I want you to try hard. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father in heaven is perfect. Jesus says, that's the goal. That's the aim. I was perfect for you. I've forgiven you, but that's, that's the goal. Let's pray. So, Lord, um, I feel like this this is probably tough for a lot of a lot of people, perhaps, because maybe they've said some of these things like. Or we all have. I remember when I said this about um, my, my pastor when I was a, a young guy. Lord, help us understand that, that you went to the cross for that sin. But Lord, we, we have a responsibility. We have, um, we have the freedom to now follow you in these ways. And so, Lord, I, I pray that we would do so. Lord, I pray that we'd lay down our rights. I, I, I pray that we would take this seriously. I, Lord, I'm praying that people would come to know you because of the way that we live, because we're exemplifying who the God of the universe is. Lord, I pray for those that are in here and that are baby Christians. They just have come to faith. And Lord, they're just saying, I don't know how to feed myself. And Lord, let, let's just I, I'm praying for their comfort and just to say that they're not in sin in this moment in that way. Uh, but Lord, they really are just, just learning. And so it's okay to say, would you show me what I need to do? Feed me in these respects. But Lord, would, would, would they also see just that maturity um, is around the corner. Maturity is a ways uh, down the road, perhaps. But Lord, that they they can walk with you. So Lord, we ask you for that. It's in your son's great name we pray. Amen.